Good morning, everyone. Last week, we began our new series, The Church Moves Forward, and we were reading selections from the book of Acts, and last week we learned how the church in the first century moved from a small and frightened and fragmented group to an expanding and courageous worldwide movement. It's amazing to think about how such a few number of people were able to overcome not only the opposition they faced by uh, the temple in Jerusalem, but even the Roman Empire. And today, here we are on the other side of the world, worshiping uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's because of what God can do um, when we respond to him in faith. Uh, What's great about biblical history, as you read it in the scriptures, that's not true of human history, is that God doesn't change. Man changes. We have different times and different people and different events that happen in history. And what that means is that we really can't hope that since someone did something great in the past, that we are going to be able to do it in the present. Uh, Just because some people somewhere had some victories doesn't mean that we're going to have the same victories because circumstances are different, the facts are different, the people involved are different, technology is different. And so we can learn principles from from studying history. We can be encouraged by the way people responded to their situations. But a hopeful optimism that we're going to win just because someone in the past did, that's not really a a reasonable inference to draw when it comes to human history. There's just too many different variables. But when it comes to the history of God interacting with the human race that you find in the scriptures, you can hope that what was happening in the past will happen in the present and into the future because God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is not any less strong or wise or powerful or able today as he was in the first century when we read about the church in the book of Acts. The only difference is our faith. Will we trust God or will we not trust God? But if we'll trust God and obey him, as believers have done throughout the history of the human race, then we will see God come through for us just like he came through for them. And so when we read the book of Acts, we shouldn't think, well, that was them. It's not really us. No, no, no. It's us. It's our people and it's our God. We should be just as excited and optimistic and eager to build the kingdom in our 80s as we are in our 20s because our God doesn't change. And so today we're going to be reading some more in the book of Acts. We're going to be reading a story that happened, a historical event that occurred in the early days of the church in Jerusalem. And we're going to be looking at the opportunities the early church had and the opposition that they faced. Now, these two things tend to come together in our Christian lives. And we're going to talk more about that in a little bit. But first, I want to read from Acts chapter 5. It's a lengthier passage, so I'm going to read it in full. And then I'm going to summarize the text make some comments, and then we'll spend the rest of our time applying it to our lives today. So Acts 5, 12 through 42. It says, The apostles performed many miracles, miraculous signs, and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. That was in the, in the temple in Jerusalem. No one else dared to join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added To their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and they put them in a public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts. 
Tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and they began to teach the people. Now, when the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and they sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the door, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest were puzzled, wondering what this, wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made, their appear, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this man's name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and have determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you have killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were furious, and they wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody. About 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all of his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Justice, or Judas, the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all of his followers were scattered. Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. This is a fantastic accounting of what it was like to be in those early days in the church in Jerusalem. And what we see here in their lives, in their example, and what God did should give us encouragement and grow our faith. Let's look at this, this testimony, this, this passage piece by piece. In Acts 5, 12 through 16, we see the opportunity laid before the disciples. In verse 12, it wasn't just the leaders of the church, but it was all the believers. They weren't alone. God gave them a family, a body, a people to stand together. He's given us the same. They were brave. They didn't hide their faith. They didn't go off into Galilee or some obscure part of the Roman Empire to preach the gospel. They went right to the heart. They, they assumed the center. 
They went to Jerusalem, into the temple, into Solomon's colonnade. They took on the false temple of their day. We see that they were canceled in verse 13, that no one dared join them for fear of being kicked out of the community, just like Christians today. But the Lord was working. The Lord was converting people from one group to another. He was taking people from unbelief to belief. And the church stood tall. The church testified. The church, the Christians were open and proud of Christ. And the Lord Jesus methodically and unstoppably built his church. In verse 16, we see that crowds began to gather. The Lord was now providing deliverance, not through the Jewish temple, but through the Christian temple, the church. And over all of this, we see God doing all the most important work. God provided for them. He directed them. He protected them. And the church advanced, it grew, and it made progress. The same God who did that for them is the God that we serve today. And so, of course, in Acts 5, 17 through 21, you have opposition. The opposition came from who? From the false teachers, from the jealous hearts of the false leaders. They couldn't preach like the apostles. They couldn't heal like the apostles. They couldn't gather a crowd like the apostles. They didn't have courage like the apostles. They were jealous. They had a burning desire for what someone else had. I deserve it. I want it. It should be mine. This is what motivated the temple at Jerusalem to persecute the church. Jealousy. So in verse 18, we see they arrested the apostles to stop them. They locked them up. But before you could even start thinking about what it would have been like to be in the jail, Luke writes that an angel of the Lord came, and boom, he sets them free during the night. They didn't even spend 24 hours in the prison before the Lord not only opened the door of the jail, but it says the angel brought them out. Step by step, God is walking them through what they need to do. And after the doors are opened, we see the apostles go back to preaching and teaching because you cannot stop God. And you cannot stop God's people who are walking in faithful obedience to him. He tells you to do something and your faith commits yourself to doing it. And then he walks with you step by step. And yeah, opposition came. But our God can stop any opposition anytime. And if he doesn't stop the opposition you're facing, he has something better in mind. He will use it for your good. Make no mistake, Jesus Christ is the Lord over all opposition. So the Lord sends them back out into the center of the battle. He directs them where to go, back to the temple. He tells them what to say. Tell them the full message of this new life. Don't edit the message to the sensibilities of the false teachers. Don't soften the message so that you stay out of jail. Tell them the full message of this new life. That's what God uses to save people. God has determined to save this world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God didn't come to this world. To, the Lord Jesus didn't come to this world to condemn it, but to save it. That's the end. That's what God wants to do. But he's also chosen the means by which he will save this world. And he does it through a faithful proclamation telling people the good news of Jesus Christ. And you and I are that means. He's chosen to share his mission, his work with us, his people. He's given us a piece of the mission. And so at our church, our mission is to invite our neighbors to discover Christ through his life-changing community. That's what we're doing. And as you share the full message, everything that God has said and everything that God is doing for you with the people around you, that is the means by which God uses to save people, 
to bring them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And that's what we see happening here in the first paragraphs of this story. So then in Acts 5, 21 through 26, the false teachers discovered that the apostles have escaped. But they're even more shocked to find out that these fugitives who were arrested for teaching in the temple courts have gone back into the temple courts and they're teaching. Having been temporarily blocked, the church gets back to work. In verse 26, whereas before the people feared the false priests of Jerusalem's temple, now the temple feared the people. They were afraid the people would stone them if they hurt the apostles. Apparently, the courage of the apostles and the amazing story of how they escaped from jail had electrified the city. God is pushing faster than the opposition can control. They can't stop the advance of the church. So, in Acts 5, 27-32, we see the trial. The old temple claims authority to tell the new temple, the church, what to say and what to do. So how do the apostles respond? We must obey God rather than man. Remember those words. Those are our words. That's the faith that John is talking about in his letters. That's the faith that overcomes the world. I will do what God says and leave the outcome with him. I will not fear man. I will not obey my flesh. I will not cave to the world. I'm going to do what God commands me to do, come what may. And we see that God blesses and gives victory to them despite this opposition. And they don't hold back. They call out the temple for murdering Jesus, hanging him on a tree, for being overruled by the God that they claim to serve when Jesus is exalted to the supreme ruler and savior of Israel. He's the one who gives repentance, not this false temple. He's the one who gives forgiveness of sins now, not this false temple, not the old, worn-out temple in Jerusalem. What they were saying was, this temple is out of business. This temple is closed. Now, that's bad, but that's not what set them off. What set them off is what they said next. In verse 32, the apostles go on and they say, oh, and by the way, that spirit of the Lord that's all throughout the Old Testament, the spirit of the Lord who does the coolest things in the Bible, the spirit of the Lord who gave Samson his power, who gave Bezalel the skill to build the tabernacle, the spirit of the Lord that gave Elijah the power to do those miracles, that gave Solomon his wisdom. You know, the spirit of the Lord that you wish you all had. Even our kids are full of the Holy Spirit. God has poured out his Holy Spirit on all of us who follow Jesus, the one you crucified, the one that God raised, and the one that God has exalted to the right hand in heaven. Good thing they didn't tell them about the Gentiles coming to the church. That would have made their heads explode. And so how did they respond? In verses 33 through 32 or 42, as you can imagine, this enraged the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they were ready to break the sixth commandment and murder these guys. But then the Yoda of the Sanhedrin stands up. Paul's rabbi mentor, Gamaliel, the man, the Gandalf of the temple, he speaks sense. And what he explains to them, he's also explaining to us. You see, this guy gets it. He sees what's happening. And he basically tells them, listen, nothing can stop the church when the church is committed to obeying God. If the church is obeying God, nobody can stop it. If they are obeying God, you can't stop it. And that's true for us, too. So the temple flogs them, whips them 39 times so that they're bleeding on the front and bleeding in the back, and sends them out. And the apostles, they took it. 
They thanked God. They praised God. They went right back into the temple courts and they taught the people everything Jesus said. They showed their stripes like medals after a war. They were getting treated like Jesus. And that meant that they were acting like Jesus. And that, that meant that they were a part of the story. They were like David and Moses and all the figures that they grew up hearing about, all their heroes of the faith. They were in the story. They were doing it too. And they were grateful for that. They were proud to suffer, proud to fight, proud of their Lord. And they were hardened by it in a good way. And from that day forward, not a single one of those men ever backed down again. So when you see this courage and you see this advancing of the kingdom of God and you see how the the opposition of the temple can't stop them, you ask yourselves, how did they stay strong in so much opposition? How did they do it? And the answer is, it's because they knew God. They knew who he was. They trusted his character and they trusted his words and they walked in faith. For example, God made it clear what his will was. Go stand in the temple and tell them everything. They knew God's will. They saw God provide everything that they needed to do his will. He provided miracles, the words to speak, angelic rescue, favor with people. Opposition was increased so that their reputation would increase. The opposition actually catalyzed the growth. Here are these people boldly preaching about Jesus. They get arrested. An angel lets them out. They're healing people. And the opposition only causes more people to see that these guys are the real deal. And the temple is the one who's full of jealousy and fear. And the Lord is using this to save people. And God used the opposition to test and refine the church. To test and refine the apostles. Do I leave the cell? I mean, if I leave the cell, I could get hurt. Do I preach the whole message or do I edit it so that I don't offend the temple anymore? Do I sweet talk the Sanhedrin here or do I just tell them straight up this is what the truth is? Do I stay in Jerusalem or do I go back to Galilee? These are all choices that they had to make and whether they were going to trust God and go right back into the heart of the battle or they were going to bail. He used all of it for good. And so one of the questions we should ask ourselves as we look at the early church going into the heart of this false temple to get the people to hear the gospel is what is your temple? What are the places God wants you to go? Who are the people that he wants you to tell everything about this new life to? Maybe it's people in your home, your extended family, your coworkers, your classmates. Maybe it's your neighbors. Maybe it's time to meet some new people. And here's the, here's the thing you have to keep in mind. If you try to extend the kingdom of God, if you try to increase the rule of Christ in your life, in your family, in your community, You're going to see opportunities. God's going to open doors, but you're also going to get opposition. The enemy will send you opposition, and God will allow it. He won't allow more than you can bear, but God doesn't keep us from fights. What God does is he trains us to win those fights, just like the apostles, just like the Lord Jesus. Pastor Bevan is a pastor in our network of churches, the 17-6 network. He's the pastor at Seabreeze Church. And he has some really good perspective on something he calls the double O's. So let's listen to him and hear all about it. Back in 2004, when Seabreeze purchased this land, uh, we began to face a number of seemingly impossible obstacles. I think there were about eight times when it looked like this project was just going to come to an end. Uh, The general contractor just stopped working about three months before the project was completed and just quit, leaving us no way to finish it at first. And then he filed a lawsuit 
Uh, and then we spent about two years and $200,000 to finally win in that lawsuit. And then we were probably 10 days uh, away from bankruptcy at one point. After we moved on site in 2007, uh, two of the staff here um, began to be disloyal and they caused division. They ended up leaving, taking a bunch of people with them. And then after that, 2008 was the Great Recession, and our giving went down by about 30%. During this time, I came across the verses in 1 Corinthians 16, 8-9, where Paul says, But I'm going to stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work is open to me, and there are many who oppose me. So he gives two reasons why he's going to stay longer than he had planned in Ephesus. The first reason made sense to me. You know, there's, there's an open door. God has provided an opportunity, a great open door. That made sense to me. The other one seemed like a reason to leave, not a reason to say. He said, and there are many who oppose me. Now, for me, that'd be a reason to leave Ephesus, not stay longer at Ephesus. So I began to look into what I think Paul was describing. And I think he was describing two things that often converge whenever God begins to do a great work. Uh, first is the openness. There's, there's an open door. God provides a tremendous opportunity. That made sense to me. But the other thing is the opposition. Whenever God begins to do something, uh, Satan notices that. And as any enemy in any war would do, he marshals a counter response. Uh, and that comes in the form of opposition. So whereas I was always excited about, obviously, the open door, um, I was overly disappointed by all the opposition, and I began to realize that my attitude needs to be the same as Paul, where he realized, I have found, I've stumbled on the front lines of something that God is doing. So I want to do everything I can to take advantage of that opportunity and lean into not only the openness, but the opposition. So I've come to call this the double O's, both open doors and opposition. I still don't like Opposition, but I've come to understand that that's usually what accompanies the great opportunities that God provides that. And I try to lean a little more into um, the attitude that Paul had of excitement that after all of this time, he has found himself smack in the middle of something great that God is doing. So the double O's have been a great encouragement uh, to me and a, a great perspective for me as I take advantage of the opportunities that God provides me in my life. All right. So when we get opposition... We're going to see that we have opportunities and we have opportunities. We're going to get opposition. They come together. We should expect it as we see here in Acts 5, 12 through 42, as Christians have seen down through history, when God opens doors and opens opportunities for his kingdom to grow, for the mission to advance, for more people to become Christians, for you to grow in holiness and sanctification, you're going to hit opposition. So we should think ahead to some of the common ways that we face opposition as we try to advance and grow and move forward. What are some double O's common to all Christians? Well, we experience as the kingdom grows through us and in us several, several forms of opposition. So, for example, you may plan to invite someone to church because you really want them to know how to come into relationship with the God who created them and who loves them and wants to give them eternal life. You plan to invite someone to church and you are hit with condemnation, doubt, guilt, who do you think you are telling people about Jesus? You're not a good Christian. They're not going to believe you. They know who you are. And you start feeling condemned and guilty and ashamed. And that causes you to want to turn away and not invite people. Or maybe there's an opportunity to meet someone and share with them the gospel. To tell them all that God has done for them. 
But things keep happening, resulting in cancellations. You get sick, or your kids get sick, or they get sick, or their kids get sick, or something happens at work, or the car breaks down, but it just seems like you can never quite get to that meeting. There's an opportunity there, but now you're facing opposition. Or maybe, number three, your faith is growing in a church. You're growing spiritually. You're growing in maturity. You're, you're getting cleaned up from the inside out by God. You're beginning to think straighter and live more rightly before God. You're beginning to grow and become more and more like Christ in a church. Then you're offered a job or a relationship if you pull out. I've seen this happen where someone's planted and rooted in the church and they're really beginning to grow and their lives are starting to get straightened out by the, by the Lord and there's blessing coming. And then a job opportunity opens up in another state or another city and they pick up roots and they move. They don't get plugged into a church and they begin to wilt spiritually or they're starting to make progress in their spiritual life in an old flame, an old girlfriend or an old boyfriend, an old relationship that's no good. All of a sudden it comes back and that person wants to rekindle. But the price for both of those people, both of those scenarios is pulling out of the church that you're growing in. Number four, you want to grow in your faith, and so you want to read your Bible, and you want to learn how to pray, and you want to learn how to memorize Scripture, and you want to start practicing some of the spiritual disciplines that God provides us to get us stronger and stronger. But you keep getting blocked from developing spiritual habits. You know, you try to get up, but your alarm doesn't go off, or something happens, and you just can't seem to get any momentum, any rhythm. So these spiritual habits aren't getting formed. You know, they say it takes about 40 days to form a new habit. And that's also true spiritually. And when you try to start developing a pattern of starting your day off, reading the Bible and praying and confessing your sins and laying your day before the Lord and hearing from him, you start finding it's very difficult to get three, four, five, six, seven days in a row. You just keep getting blocked with opposition. This is typical. Opportunity and opposition. Expect it. The double O's. Finally, another one that I've seen is in faith, you have reprioritized something big in your life. And then things get worse in that area. Maybe it's in your marriage or maybe it's with your family or your money or your time or in some other area. You are reprioritizing according to God's word. You're doing what he wants. And after you do that, you're thinking it's going to be blessings and good things. And all of a sudden, things are getting worse. Things are getting harder. And that's expected. If you're an athlete, if you're a golf player... You're a golfer and you swing the club incorrectly and a coach comes and teaches you a new way to swing it. At first, you're not going to drive that ball as far or as straight. If you're a runner and you have to learn a new stride, you're going to slow down in time. But over time, you're going to break free from that plateau, from being stuck, and you're going to grow. And so in the midst of the reprioritization, if you get discouraged because it's not instantly getting better or you're facing opposition, which is what your enemy knows it takes to get you off course, you may bail. These are just different scenarios that you may yourself have experienced where you had an opportunity to grow in godliness or to extend his kingdom to new people. And then you faced opposition. If these things are happening, don't be surprised if something strange was happening to you. This is the nature of the spiritual war that we're in. There's opportunity and there's opposition. So what should I do then when I face these double O's or other double O's? Well, I want to encourage you to ask yourself some questions, ask God for some things, and then make some decisions, some resolutions. This is what you do to face the double O's well and actually endure to the point where you begin to experience victory, 
the blessing, the reward, the growth, the maturity, the good things? How do you keep going like the apostles did and the church did in this testimony we just read from Acts 5? First, you have to ask yourself five questions. There may be more questions, but here's five questions I would encourage you to ask. Number one, ask yourself, what is God's will? It was clear to them what God's will was. Go to the temple and tell them everything about this new life. If you don't know what God's will is, then you cannot do the things that open up the opportunities. If you don't know what God's will is, you can't make the most of the opportunities. Number two, ask yourself, what are God's promises? Often with God's commands and his will, he makes promises. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. The Bible says that if you ask and seek and knock, that God will give what you ask for, that he will, you'll find what you seek, and that he'll open the door that you're knocking on. There's just all sorts of promises that God makes to us if we will walk in faith and obey his will. So what's his will and what's he promising? That actually helps us be motivated and maintain and endure to the end. Number three, ask yourself, what kind of opposition am I facing? Am I facing opposition internally, like my flesh? I have these old habits and patterns of thought and actions and emotions, and they keep tripping me up, and I keep getting back into my old ruts. Is it your flesh? Is it sin in your life? Desires that you have that are contrary to the will of God? It could be internal. It could be external, right? It could be that you're being faced, your opposition is coming from your family or from your coworkers or from your culture, and they're opposing your forward advancing in the word of God, in the faith and in making progress for the kingdom. Or it could be spiritual. It just seems like no matter what you're doing, there's just the perfect strategic attack at just the critical moment that's causing you to trip, stumble, and fall. And it does, it's no person, but it's just all these series of unfortunate events, they always seem to happen, that keep you from reading the scriptures, keep you from regularly praying, keeping you from sharing your faith, keeping you from breaking free in an area. And that looks like intelligent design. It looks like an intelligent enemy who's hitting you at just the key point. And it very well could be. Probably is. And so if you ask the question, what kind of opposition am I facing? Who am I facing? That will help you know how to pray and respond. If it's your flesh, you have to put it to death. And we can help you learn how to do that. If it's opposition you're facing from other people, then what you do is, is you learn how to respond biblically. If it's a demonic attack, if it's the enemy attacking you, then you use the spiritual weapons God has given you. And again, we can help you do that. But identifying where opposition is coming from is key. If you don't know who you're fighting, you're probably not going to win. Number five, what's my price? The apostles were whipped 39 times as a punishment for speaking the truth of Jesus Christ. They were jailed. They were threatened. Everyone has a price, a point at which they will not go any further. A price they're unwilling to pay to keep walking in faith to Christ. Peter said, I will never abandon you, Lord. Even if it costs me my death, I'll stand with you. And then when Jesus was on trial, he denied him three times. Now, we would love to think that we don't have a price, that we'll obey God at all costs. But the truth is, is that we are all easily intimidated and scared, compromised. And so we should think ahead. We should be honest with the Lord and say, Lord, I I want to share my faith with my neighbor, with my family, with this person, but I'm afraid. 
I'm afraid of what they're going to say. I'm embarrassed. I don't have the words. I know I'm going to get scared and I'm going to bail. Would you help me? Would you give me courage? Lord, I love you and I want to obey you, but I, I know I love my comfortable life. I love the way my life is and I don't really want to make changes, but I know that's not right. I know I should want to make changes. So would you change my heart? Would you work in me so I'm willing to pay every price and bear every burden to walk in faith with you? Be real about who you are and begin to identify where you're going to be tempted to compromise, what price you're not willing to pay, and commit yourself to paying any price to walk in obedience to God. So as you ask yourself these questions and you find the answers, it allows you then to pray and talk to God about what you need. Ask God to tell you what his will is, what he wants you to do. Ask God to give you everything you need to do it. God didn't just tell him to go to the temple. He opened up the jail cell. He gave them the words to speak. He guided them out with an angel. He gave them miraculous powers to heal people. He turned the hearts of the people so that they were on the side of the church and not the side of the temple. When the temple was about to murder them, he raises up Gamaliel to speak some sense to these people. God is working in all these situations. And for you to obey God, to do the things that God wants you to do in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your career, with your money, with your neighbors, with your testimony, man, he's going to have to work He's going to have to do a lot of things. Like, you need God's help. So ask God for what you need to do the things he's asking you to do. Number three, ask God to fulfill his promises. Having identified what he promises, and now you're walking in faithful obedience step by step by step, it's terrifying, right? It's like walking on water, like Peter walking out of the ocean. It's terrifying. And so you're looking up to God saying, God, would you please fulfill your promise? You promised that you would provide for me, protect me, direct me, that you would give me victory, that you would help me. Would you please do what you said you're going to do? And you hold on to those promises and you hold them up and you remind God of those promises. He's not offended by that. He made those promises and he wants you to claim them. Number four, ask God to crush your opposition. You're going to face opposition that's too strong for you and you need God to destroy it, to defeat it, to overcome it, to crush it. Now, I use that word crush because I learned it from the psalmist. One of the most powerful verses that I ever memorized was in 2009, Psalm 18, 37 through 39a. It says, I pursued my enemies and overtook them. I did not turn back till they were destroyed. I crushed them so they could not rise. They fell beneath my feet. You armed me with strength for battle. What this verse is telling me is that when I'm facing my sin and my flesh, I can crush it. I can defeat it. God will give me power to destroy it. What this is telling me is that when I face a supernatural enemy that I can't see that's too powerful for me, God will equip me to defeat the enemy and crush the head of the snake, to crush the snake, to trample upon serpents and scorpions. When man comes against me, like Babylon came against Daniel, <clears throat> the way that Pharaoh came against the Israelites, the way that, the way that Goliath came against David, God will give me the power to crush and defeat my enemies. I'm not talking about physically killing people. I'm talking about overcoming my opposition. And I'm going to ask God when the opposition comes to give me the power to defeat, to overcome, to crush, to win. If what I'm doing is obeying his words. And then finally, ask God to make you strong, firm, and steadfast. 1 Peter 5, 9-10, he says in verse 10, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. He called you to be glorious like Christ, to be brave like Christ, to be strong like Christ, to be holy like Christ, to keep advancing like Christ. He's called you to be like the Lord Jesus. The God who called you to that will himself, after you have suffered a little while, 
will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. After you have suffered a little while, you're going to get opposition. God is going to let it come to you, but he's not going to let you fall. He's going to make you strong. He's going to make you firm. He's going to make you steadfast. God doesn't keep you from fights. God trains you to win them. And so you ask God to make you strong and firm and steadfast to endure in obeying his will that he's showing you with his promises in your hand, holding them up, asking God to give them to you, asking God to equip you with everything you need to obey him, committed to crushing your opposition and advancing to the kingdom. This is how we're able to endure and move forward like the apostles did in chapter 5 of Acts. Having asked yourself these questions to get your mind straight on what's before you and asking God for these things to protect and direct and equip you, decide. Decide today that you must obey God rather than men, rather than yourself, rather than your boss, rather than the government. Anything that contradicts the commands of God, you are not going to obey it or them. You're going to obey God. And you have to ask yourself right now in your life, what's an area that God wants you to obey him in? But you're not. Who are you obeying? Is it yourself? Is it someone else? Is it the culture? Is it the enemy? Who are you obeying? Decide today to obey God rather than men. Number two, decide today. It's your privilege to suffer for the name. You may suffer humiliation. You may suffer a loss of income. You may suffer a loss in reputation and friendship. You may suffer physically. These disciples who were beaten considered it a privilege to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ, to be identified with Jesus, to be one of his people. And you have to wake up each day and decide if it takes suffering and embarrassment or whatever the price is to obey you, Lord, I'm willing to do it. It's a privilege. That's what they did. That's what we should do. Again, drawing from their testimony, decide today to tell the people the full message of this new life. That's what they did. They didn't edit the message. They didn't change it to accommodate the sensibilities of the people in their minds. They just told people who God was. They told people what God said. They told people what God commands them to do. And they trusted God to add to their number, which he did. Number five, decide today to do this with brothers and sisters in your church. It says at the very beginning of the testimony we read that they were all together, not just the apostles by themselves, but the whole church, the whole family, the whole army, the whole body, the whole temple. They were all there, and we're all in it together. You don't have to stand and face opportunities and oppositions alone. We're to encourage and strengthen and direct and admonish and pull side by side and bear with each other. So open up the windows and let people know what it is you're facing both opposition and opportunity, so that they can support and encourage you. This is how we, in our day, do what they did in their day. This is what they did, and this is what we can do. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm not George Washington. I'm not Abraham Lincoln. We don't live in those times. They may have done things in the revolutionary generation that nobody will ever be able to do again. I'm not a Roman. I'm not Caesar. He may have done things in the time of Rome that nobody will ever do again. But my God has never changed. And what he did in the first century in Jerusalem that we just read 
he has been doing over and over and over to, for 2,000 years. And he intends to do it in my generation, in my life. The only question is, will I have the faith that they had? And if I know what God commands and I know what God promises and I know what to ask God for and I'm ready to face opposition, yeah, God will do it. So here are some next steps to take. Number one, believe that God sent Jesus Christ to save me and receive him as my Lord. Believe that God, well, God says that he sent his son Jesus to save you. So if you're not a Christian, believe what God has said, that he sent his son to die for your sins, to wipe away the moral failure on your record, to give you the righteousness of Christ, to remove your guilt so that you can come into a relationship with God forever. Believe what God says about his son and receive Jesus as your Lord. That's how you believe. You receive him as your Lord. Number two, my next step today is to ask the ten questions above about the double O's I'm facing. If you have opportunities in opposition, work through those questions and it will help focus you and show you how to respond in faith. Number three, decide that I will obey God rather than are you obeying your appetites, your flesh, your fear? Are you obeying a human being? Are you obeying the culture in general? Who are you obeying? Obey God and not someone else. And then number four, take the risk and share about the fight or the opposition that I am in right now with someone. Write a name in. You may be feeling like it's not opportunities, man. It's just opposition. But there actually are opportunities that you can't see. All you see is opposition, but there's actually opportunities. And if you'll share with your brothers and sisters in Christ the opposition you're facing and ask them, hey, I don't really see any opportunities here. Do you see any opportunities? They can help you see what you don't see. And that will motivate you. That will give you hope. That will, that will give you the desire to endure. And if you do the other things that we looked at here today, you will move forward. You will have victory. As they did, you will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and the hope that it lays out. We ask that we could respond in faith as the Christians did in Acts 5. Please apply it to our lives as we need. In Jesus' name, amen.